Hear the word of the Lord to you. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Uh, as I've said on a number of occasions, because it's true, truth has consequences. So in particular, the fact that Jesus died for our sins so that we could live in fellowship with him right here and now, and that when he comes again, he will deliver our bodies as well as our souls, that should have tremendous, even earth-shattering implications for believers in our day-to-day -day existence as we walk through our ordinary, everyday life because those things are true, because Jesus died and because he's coming back, we should be different. And even the way we do things that everybody has to do every day, that should look different. And so what we saw even uh, last week and the week before, we saw, and this is important to see this, it's a little different than what I just said. It makes it sound like I'm repeating it, but I'm not. In other words, the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ does not only change our final destination, but thank God it does. Amen? We are not appointed to receive wrath. You know, do the thank you, Jesus. Doesn't only change the destination. Listen, this is so important. It also changes the way we get there. So the way that we actually, I love, you remember that old time book, Pilgrim's Progress. You remember, the, you might not know, that's not the name of it. It's actually a lot longer because those Puritans, the title was like a first chapter. Pilgrim's Progress from this present world to the world which is to come. <laughs> that's the real name. And the point is, it's so beautiful when you see the Bible again and again tells us this ain't our home. What? We're just a passing through. We're on a journey. We're traveling. And it's so awesome. What, what really excited me when I first came to know Jesus I got saved in a world where there weren't any other believers around me that I knew of. And so I was a little bit lonely. 
And I will never forget meeting my first Christian friends. Other than the gentleman who led me to the Lord, I was kind of like, oh boy, somebody else who is going to the celestial city. This is so cool. And actually knows what I'm talking about. And has the same, deals with the same issues I deal with and worships the same Jesus. Hallelujah. It felt so good. Well, that was great when you're new in the Lord, but then you get into the church. rut row. And then you realize life with other brothers and sisters ain't so easy. Because yes, we have a new nature. Yes, we have, as, as uh, Jerry prayed, we have the Holy Spirit living inside. But he, as he also prayed, we also have a sinful nature. And that means we are going to test one another. And we are going to get on one another's nerves. And we are going to get to the point, really, this is the tenth time that I'm dealing with this with so-and-so. And so what Paul is saying is, is, is simply this. Knowing Jesus should make all the difference in the world on how we relate to one another as we're all on the way to the same journey, going to the same place as believers in Christ. And so the first group of people he deals with, and we dealt with that in detail last week, is he deals with the fact that knowing Jesus is coming back for us should lead us to do what? Respect and honor the leaders that work hard among us. Instead of making their job hard, Instead of kicking against them, especially those of us who are parents, we should understand what it's like um, to have maybe kids that don't listen and don't do what we say. And, and uh, it makes the whole family has a tough time, right? And in the church, we should have respect and honor for those who work hard among us. So that's also, Paul uh, also convicts us leaders because he defines us as those who work hard. <laughs> so that's a little push there, isn't it, for us as well. But then we get to the next group that I began to talk about last week that Paul talks about. Um, and he talks about this next group. We could really define them as maybe in a sense the troubled folks in the church. He says, warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. So that's where we're going to begin our time this morning and how waiting for Jesus, how that will look in the way we treat those folks in the church. And in 15, he caps that part off when he says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other. And then, of course, Paul has to add, and to everyone else. So not just fellow believers, but make sure you're kind, especially. And that's this sense as a good witness to those who don't yet know Jesus. So that's the kind of radical transformation that the, the gospel should have, impact should have in our lives how we treat one another, how we treat everyone else. And as I mentioned it last week, but for those of you who weren't here last week, the older I've gotten, I've realized this. Hopefully I've gained a little bit of wisdom uh, since I got saved in 1986. And it's this. I am, uh, many of us are very task-oriented. We got to get stuff done. And especially leaders in the church, right? We got all these things we've got to get done. But really, when a push comes to shove, you know what really is going to matter when we see Jesus face to face? relationships it's going to matter it's going to make all the difference in the world if you love the folks that you're trying to lead so aggressively and if you slow down to listen to love well to lead well and it's going to matter for congregation members that you love one another even in your effort to get a lot accomplished and so that's what we're going to see. This morning we're going to take a look at this. 
Um, the fact that Jesus died and he is, he is for sure coming back to rescue us, both body and soul, and to complete what he started, it's going to make a significant impact on how we relate to three things, and we're still going to only be on the first one this morning. How we relate to others, one another. We're still in that. Next time, we're going to see how that relates to our circumstances. You know, give thanks in all circumstances. That's going to be, woo! And then the third one, it's going to be how we relate to the ministry of the word. Interesting. Where he says, don't treat prophecies with contempt. You're going to want to tune in on that one. Right? That's a hot topic today. Prophecy. We'll get to it. Each in its time. So now we're going to take a look at how the gospel and Christ's second coming um, impacts our relations in the church one with another. So I already mentioned how he dealt with um, leaders, how we should deal with leaders. So we're going to jump right into how he deals with the next group of three uh, different people he talks about in verse 14. Uh, the first thing I, wanna, I wanna, want you to notice, which is really interesting, these three groups within the church, the idle, right, the timid, and the weak, here should be, it's a little bit of a shocker when you think about this. Paul tells us, tells us that each one of those subsets are to be treated differently. Ah, you know, like parents, they're like, I treat all my kids the same. Well, then you're messed up. You can't, you should not treat all. Listen, let me put it this way. If you went to the doctor, right, and he's seeing patients or she's seeing patients all day, imagine if that doctor treated all the patients exactly the same. Yeah, you know what you call that? Malpractice, right? I have a cold. Here, take Percocet. I have a broken foot. Here, take Percocet. You follow me? I have an allergy. Take Percocet. You don't treat everybody the same in that sense, right? Each one you're going to have a different remedy for. And so Paul tells us there's different ways you treat different people or different walks of life, different places in their spiritual life. And notice something else before we jump right into the actual content. Paul doesn't say leaders. I urge leaders to do these things. Notice what he says. I urge you what? We urge you brothers. And that in the Greek includes women. It's brethren. It's brothers and sisters. So the whole body of Christ is to do these three things to the three groups of people. And that's the way we can express Christ's love the most to each of the specific groupings of people. So the first group of people he mentions, and uh, these folks apparently were stubborn because he has to address them again in 2 Thessalonians, so I won't go into as much detail today as I'm going to next time. But the first thing he says is what? Warn the idle. Now I want you to understand who the idle were in Thessalonians, and we know that in Thessalonica, and we know this from 2 Thessalonians in particular. Some Thessalonians were refusing to work. Hello? Ever meet those people? They won't work. But here's the worst part about it. They were given a spiritual excuse. <laughs> that, I don't know about you, but that tweaks me the most. When somebody gives a Jesus response for, their, for, for sinning, right? So here's the Jesus. Well, since Jesus is coming back, why bother working? We want to wait. So that, you know, he's going to come anyway. So what's the point? You know, hey, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. Ever hear that? So you might as well just, you know, wait for Jesus to come. And I always think of, uh, you remember when Jesus ascended? You remember what the disciples were doing? They were gawking. 
They were just standing still gawking at him going up. And you remember what the angel said? Hey, don't stand here looking, looking at Jesus. The same Jesus you saw going up, guess what? He's coming back the same way. So what's the point of that? Get to working. He told you to what? Make disciples of all nations. Don't be staring up there. Get to moving. Because here's the issue. Paul makes it clear that a true living hope in Christ's second coming should not only not lead to idleness, but it should lead to the opposite, which is hard work. Think about it this way. When Jesus comes back, you, find, you want him to find you not at your post? When he told you to do something? You want him to come back and you're playing around picking your nose somewhere? Or when he comes back, do you want to be in the thick of serving him, doing whatever calling? Because listen, sometimes we talk about full-time Christian service. I'm sorry to do this, but I'm a little silly. All service is full-time Christian. If God calls you to be a plumber, you're a plumber to the glory of Jesus Christ. Because guess what? As many of us know, when our plumbing doesn't work, we're really glad for a plumber. And you go down the line for every other vocation. We need... We need Christian everything. Carpenters, Christian doctors, Christian psychologists, everything. And that is our calling. Yes, we volunteer, all of us volunteer in the church for certain church, what we call church-related work, but ultimately all of our work is what? Unto the Lord. You know, I mean, I, I relate to this because my wife will go out all day doing something. I'll be home, right? And you know where I'm coming from. And I'll be behind my computer sitting in my favorite spot on the couch. Now, she leaves, literally, maybe five minutes later, I get up, and I accomplish like ten tasks. But when she gets home, guess when she decides to come home? I literally just sat down for a second, got on my computer to check my mail, and what does she say when she walks in? That's where you were when I left you. <laughs> no, I'm not making fun. Of, I, I mean, I get it, cause, and, I'm, and, and of course I'm like, But of course, it's not a perfect analogy because Jesus knows if you just sat down. I get, but the, you know, you get the point. We want to be at it. So when Jesus comes, it's well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, serve. You know, God created us to be productive, to be workers. You know, there's something happens to the human psyche when we don't work. And I remember when I was in Iowa, I've told you some of you the story already, but um, I was waiting for this job to come through, and I really needed this type of job because I was full-time seminary studying Greek and Hebrew, and I'm not a linguist, any stretch of the imagination, plus a full load, plus I had two kids. So they, I had this job where I could work on the weekends only as a night guard for two nights. And, that, and not only that, the night when I was there, I could study Greek and Hebrew. So it was like the perfect job for me, so I was holding out for it. But I didn't work when I first moved to Iowa for a couple of months. And I couldn't put my finger on it, but I became more and more depressed, which wasn't like me, and Mary even noticed it. And then I think Mary was the first one to point it out. It's because you're not working. Men are made, and it's not only true with men, it's true with women too, but men are made, God made us to work, right? So when he created Adam, what's the first thing he did to him? Did for him. Put him in the garden and said what? Get to working. Because God is a builder. And we're made what? In the image of God. You know, nothing, I mean, think about it. 
What feels better than going to bed knowing that you worked your butt off that day? Right? I mean, when, when, yeah, when Nikki said that, I saw the big smile on her face because when you finally get that employment and you're doing something productive and, and Lord willing, you had a, you know, it was an honest day, you go home and you do what? And my wife says, my wife says, move over, you're snoring. I'm like, yeah, but that was good. The old saying is true, idle hands are the devil's playground. That's the other issue. When we're not doing positive stuff, all of a sudden there's room for things that we don't want to do as Christians, right? That don't honor God. So what I want you to see here, the problem with the idol is there was a little stubbornness involved, a little duplicity. So what Paul says is, warn them. You know what that is. It's called tough love. Because I don't know if you've ever dealt with folks who have an issue with working. You know, it's kind of like in the Proverbs, it says, I can't, where the lazy guy says, I can't go outside. There could be a lion that might bite me. You know, they're always going to have excuses. So they're going to need a little firm, gentle but firm warning. You know, this God is not happy. This is not a good way to live, right? So sometimes there needs to be a little firmness in the church. And then when it comes to idle, idle folks, definitely. But then look at the next group of people. Encourage the timid. Now, the timid don't need a harsh rebuke. As a matter of fact, what? That could do damage. That's the last thing they need. And so see how you do, deal differently with different people, right? That's, just, that, that's actually a good thing and the right thing to do. They need some strong, gentle encouragement. And God gave me two illustrations this past week for this. I didn't have to go look for them. I had to go read books. I, I got to see it with my own eyes. I was at Acme. Yeah, Acme is the way I say it. Acme. But I was there. And um, there was a father. I think it looked like a father and a child. And, and he was dealing with his kid. And he's like, get the cart. And then I, the kid's kind of stumbling, trying to get And he goes, <sighs> like that. And my heart just sank. It's one thing if the kid was being disobedient or the kid was like trying to do it and, and the guy just, I felt horrible for the kid. So how do you think, what do you think the message was sent to that kid? If he was a little timid, if he wasn't sure of himself, if he didn't have a lot of confidence of pulling that thing out because maybe he's a little embarrassed, how do you think he's going to feel next time? You think he's going to willingly say, hey, let me get the car. Or is he going to be deathly afraid of it and try to avoid it at all costs? And again, which the father is going to see is what? Rebellion. Right? And I just felt horrible. Because that was not encouraging the timid. Which means to come alongside and strengthen. Right? But then I saw something positive. Tom Chang, one of the leaders of the last church that came to serve as a UMT last week. They, brought, they come as families. They don't come like a youth group. They come more as families. And they had a bunch of younger children. And he went, I was watching him literally in awe the way he was dealing not only with his children but the other children. He showed them how to make a sandwich the proper way. You know, me, I would have been like, slap this on. Like, What's wrong? You never did a peanut butter and jelly. You know me. I, that's why. He took his time. You know, other people are bothering him. He was patient. He showed them how to put it on evenly. He showed them how to fold. He showed them how to cut it. He showed them how to fold the, the uh, aluminum foil the right way. And I'm thinking, man. But it was so neat all week long. That was just sandwiches. I saw him do that with everything. With Bible Club stuff. 
And, and you could see these kids, they definitely, it was impacting them. They were learning and they were being emboldened and they were being encouraged to do things that God calls us all to do. Now, I also had the privilege of um, spending some time because they stay at our house, which sometimes that could be taxing when you have 11 bodies with you for, you know, 24-7, seven, seven days a week. But we also, you know, might hear us complain, but it's also a tremendous blessing. So one of the leaders um, was his first mission trip ever, and um, he was very introverted. And you know Pastor Santo with introverts. I just thought, hmm, a newbie. So... I love asking them questions and trying to pull them out of their shell. And uh, one of the, the testimonies he gave, which I thought was awesome for the whole group here, is when I said, so, you know, at the end of the week, he told me his testimony. He said at the beginning, he said, I'll never do this again. Like the first day here, two days, he was like, ah, I don't want to do it. Because he, he says, you know, it's, it's very hard for him to uh, be extroverted or do things. He said, after doing the community mapping, he says that has actually got him out of his shell more and encouraged him when he goes back home to talk to people more, to interact with people. And I thought, ding, 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 ding. That's what encouraging the timid is. And if you want um, a great example of this in the Bible, you don't have to look further than Paul and Timothy. You know, listen, this is so cool. The apo great apostle Paul, when he commends his uh, disciple Timothy, he brings tears to your eyes when you think about it. He says, I have no one else like him. Imagine if the Apostle Paul said that about you. I have no one else like him who has a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone considers their own interest, but he considers those of what? Christ Jesus. Now, if you read 2 Timothy 1, Paul's old. He's hand the baton over to Timothy. In chapter 1, he addresses... Timothy's timidity. And I'm not going to get into it this morning, but I tell you, turn to that passage and see how wonderfully Paul encourages him and gets behind him and basically says what? You can do this. Now I wondered as I was preparing this message, how many people in our churches, not just this church, are singing the words to that old Beatles song to themselves, so to speak, I get by with a little help from my friends. How many people are asking this? Listen, metaphorically. What would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song. And I'll try not to sing out of tune. There are many people that want to do good. They want to try. They want to serve the Lord. But they're so afraid. They're afraid of failing. They're afraid of looking bad. They're afraid of making Jesus look bad. They're afraid of making their brothers and sisters look bad. But then the chorus is encouraging, isn't it? I get by with a little help from my friends. Now, I get high with a little help from my friends. No, we cut that out. I'm going to try. I love that last line. I'm going to try. What? With a little help from my friends. That's the culture we want in the church. We want people to say, I'm going to try. Because Jesus is on my side. 
and my brothers and sisters got my back. How many times in the church it becomes a competition? And I, don't, I totally don't understand that. Look, when we're playing volleyball, we're keeping score. I ain't doing none of this. Let's just hit it over the net. What are you, out of your mind? How boring is that? So be competitive when you're playing volleyball. But in the church, this isn't a competition. This is literally no child left behind. And that goes to the very next thing, help the weak. And if there's one thing the community of faith should engage in, it's helping those who are weak. Look, how does worldly society work in general? It's set up the, the what? The spoils go to the what? The strong. The weak are often forgotten. Only the strong survive. They're overlooked or they're simply discarded. Now here's the cool thing. In the church, in stark contrast, in the church of Jesus Christ, it's to be a place where those who are weak in the eyes of the, Lord, in the, eyes of the world are what? Lifted up, strengthened, and supported. You know why parachurch ministries took off in the 80s? You know what a parachurch ministry is? It's like a, the Navigators, Youth for Christ, that kind of thing. You know why they took off? One of the reasons it took off? Because it was all the brightest, the youngest, the strongest, the boldest. And they could be with all people like them. They didn't have to worry about snotty Master Jones. They didn't have to worry about, oh, this, this weak person in the church. Oh, that timid person. Oh, that person you got to walk on. Oh, that person that in the prayer meeting, I want to, you know, jump in the lake. Yeah, it's, it's nice when, when you could get away from uh, folks that test you and try you. But that's not the organization, the organization that Jesus said this of. On this rock, I will build my what? Not, not, not parachurch. I will build my church. And what did he say about his church? The gates of hell won't prevail against this church. And in the church of Jesus, you have the weak, you have the timid, and even the idle. And they're all to be loved, they're all to be cared for in the ways that Paul talks about here. You know, uh, one more about my wife, but, but so don't get mad, honey. I forgot to ask you this one. They, they always say, when, when they're training pastors to preach, they say, keep away from your, your wife and kids. I never listen. So my wife, she is awesome. She lost so much weight. I'm so proud of her. But of course, when she got to a certain pound, she goes, get on that scale. I'm like, why? So she gets on the scale. I get on the scale. She weighed less than me. She was so excited, right? And she's like, I, lay, I weigh less than you. All right, so that one time, I took it. But every now and then, we'll, we'll go back and forth. I'm like, it's not a competition. I'm like, how come in order for you to do well, I got to do bad? And I kid about that, but, but that's, that really is the point, isn't it? We should support one another, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. It's not about you. It's about others. Considering others, Jesus said what? Better, uh, Paul says, better than yourselves. Putting others first. Listen, um, this is Charles Schultz, who I believe was a Christian. He's the one who created what, you know? Peanuts. Kind of a cool guy. Um, although I, I really always felt bad for Charlie Brown. He always got the raw deal, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I, if I did, if, I had, if Charles wasn't with the Lord, I'd say, why'd you do that? But anyway, this is what he says. He says, 
He gives you a couple questions. Name the five wealthiest people in the world. Name the last five Heisman Trophy winners. Name the last five winners of Miss America. Name ten people who have won the Nobel or Pulitzer Prize. Name the last half dozen Academy Award winners for Best Actor and Actress. Name the last decade's worth of World Series winners. And then he says, how did you do? And then he mentions, um, these are no second-rate achievers. They're the best in their fields. But the applause dies. Awards tarnish. Achievements are forgotten. Accolades and uh, certificates are buried with their owners. But then he says, look, here's another quiz. This is where it gets powerful. See how you do on this quiz. List a few teachers who aided your journey through school. I could think of two right away, maybe three. Name three friends who have helped you through a difficult time. That's pretty quick. Name five people who have taught you something worthwhile. Think of a few people who have made you feel appreciated and special. You can do that quick. Think of five people you enjoy spending time with. And his whole point is, the people who make a difference in your life are not the ones with the most credentials, the most money, or the most awards. They're the ones who what? Who care. They're the ones who help. Now, it could be very hard to continue to help encourage the timid, to help the weak, to have to uh, warn the idle. Um, why is it hard? And I'll tell you why. Because it's not one and done. Wouldn't it be nice? You warn the idol once, and they get a job the next day. Hey, voila, abracadabra. <laughs> or with the timid, hey, I just encouraged him yesterday. I got to do it again. Or with the weak, dude, why aren't you strong by now? But the reality is it does bother us, and it does get old, right? And so that's why Paul has to add, verse 14, be patient with everyone. So listen, yeah, but they should know better. Be patient with everyone. Yeah, but she's not a believer. Be patient with everyone. Yeah, but this is the umpteenth time. What? Be patient. With. And just so you want to know the Greek word, I, I, I don't do this a lot, but you need to know it. The Greek word for patience here is long-suffering. I always like to say, ouch. But then I remember somebody said, way more than ouch for me. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and everyone else. If our hope really is in Christ, then we can let God, we can leave room for God to avenge. Amen? We don't need this constant, immediate justice. We can leave it to the Lord. And when people curse us, we could do what? We could bless. You want to know the one trait that makes believers stand out in this crazy, twisted world? It's this right here. And everywhere in Scripture. Jesus said it on the Sermon on the Mount, Peter's epistles, Paul's epistles. He emphasizes what? Do not treat evil with evil, but what? Overcome evil with good. That's the way we're going to shine like beacons in a world of despair and darkness. Listen, we don't stand out because we have a, a, a shirt that says, I love Jesus. And I got shirts like that. I ain't putting you down. But it's going to make a much bigger difference if we live in a way 
that says what? I love Jesus. And one way is not giving it back, not fighting fire with fire, but blessing back. I'm going to close with this for time's sake. I told you I couldn't get too far, but I do want to mention this um, because the question is, this is a high calling, isn't it? Everything I just said just kind of gives you a little, that's a high calling to really put this into practice by faith. How can we live such countercultural lives of faith, hope, and love both in and out of the church as we wait for Christ's imminent return? The answer is in verses 16 to 18. I'm only going to touch on it briefly. We'll, we'll pick it up there next week. But notice what these three things in verses 16 and 17 18 have in common. They're all about living in close fellowship with Jesus. Because if you're not living in close fellowship with Jesus, you don't have a chance of living like that. Can I get an amen? So what does this fellowship look like? Verse 16, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's an old hymn called Take Time to Be Holy. And it says this, take time to be holy, speak oft with thy Lord, abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Listen, help those who are weak. Forgetting in nothing is blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be, thy friends in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Man, there's so much more to say. But... For time's sake, let me just say this. We can afford to live like this because as believers, we are not appointed. God has not appointed us for wrath. Isn't that awesome? But to receive salvation when Jesus comes again. Let's be so heavenly minded that we're of some earthly good. Let's pray. Father, there's so much in this passage and you have fed us well we do want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ we do want to show that we have a living hope especially how we treat the idle the timid the weak and everyone else lord may we be living epistles living letters of yours, proclaiming to others the good news of Jesus' death, resurrection, and second coming, not only in our words, although also in our words, but also especially through our lives. We pray it in his matchless name, Jesus the Christ. God, come visit us in the flesh. Amen.